What's up, guys? I'm Jared Lopes, and you're listening to the Dad Tired Podcast, where I'm helping everyday families learn how to follow Jesus in everyday life. How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. It's good to be with you. If you just stumbled upon this podcast for the first time, just want to say hello. We're glad to have you. You can find out more about what we're doing by going to dadtired.com. There's all kinds of resources on there, podcasts. Uh, The other thing that I really want to point you to that's important on there is there's a tab on there that that says community. If you click that tab, it will link you over to a closed group on Facebook where we have a few thousand men from around the world who are taking their faith, their family, and their marriage very seriously. It's a wonderful group, free group, doesn't cost anything. Go over there uh, and find some support with other dudes, uh, and you can even connect with other guys in your area. It's a really good group. So go to dadtire.com, click the community tab, it will link you over to that. Uh, I'm super excited, as always. I've got a really, really, really cool guest on the podcast today. Um, Much of the way that I say things and articulate things, uh, either in the book, the devotional that uh, is out now, or uh, in the podcast, or in blogs, uh, much of how I say things is influenced by this man, that uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, uh, who's going to be our guest today. Um, he has really helped shape my thinking and the way that I, art- I articulate the gospel, um, but he just says it better than me. So I'm excited to have him on and say things the way that I try to say them. Um, so anyway, Jeff, is a, he's a visionary leader for what's called the Soma family of churches, a bunch of churches around the globe. Um, he's a lead teaching pastor at the Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. He travels all around the world training and equipping church and the church leaders uh, in the gospel and in missional living. Uh, he's also married, so he's, he's got skin in the game. He's got three kids. Uh, anyway, he, he knows what he's talking about. He knows this stuff. I promise you, you are going to get a lot from this podcast. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jeff Vanderstelt. Jeff, thanks so much for being here, man. I just gave a short introduction, but uh, in your own words, tell us who you are and what you're working on these days. Well, uh, I, I say, first of all, I'm a child of God. Uh, so in terms of my identity, uh, and I'm married to my beautiful wife, Janie, uh, now over 24 years and we have three children. So I'm also a father, husband and father. Uh, our three children are Haley, Caleb and Maggie. They are 15, 13 and 10. So, uh, we had quite a journey having kids at the beginning. It took us almost 10 years to have our first. So it was a long journey of having that we'd been married quite a long time before we had our first. And then I presently give leadership to Doxa Church, uh, in particular the vision and then equipping for everyday mission. I share uh, about 40 to 50 percent of the preaching with another uh, teacher pastor as well uh, there at Doxa. And then I give uh, leadership and vision to the Soma family of churches that's all over North America and around the world. And then we started a not-for-profit called Saturate to really equip the church to see every man, woman, and child uh, have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. So that's a, that's the stuff I do. Quite a bit of things going on. Thankfully, yeah, you're busy. Uh, it's, I've got a great team around me, so they do incredible work. That's awesome, man. Well, one of the first things that stuck out to me when I first heard you when I was exposed to some of your teaching was you kept using this phrase gospel fluency. You kept saying it over and over again, and uh, I had never heard that term before. Uh, what, what is gospel fluency? 
Well, it's taken from the concept of fluency in a language that when you learn a language uh, and you really are fluent in it, you stop translating everything. You stop thinking, okay, I heard Spanish, think English, now translate into Spanish in my head and figure out what I want to say back in, in Spanish out loud. And you just start seeing the world through that language. You perceive it through that language. You dream in that language. You, you, you translate life in that language. You, even your emotions and experiences are always in that language. And so the idea with gospel fluency is that if we're born again by the, through the gospel being proclaimed to us, then it should, in a sense, become our mother tongue. It should be the thing in which that the language through which we translate the world, interpret everything, uh, understand our, even our internal world. And it's the thing that we speak out loud on a regular basis to the real problems and issues of life. So we should become so fluent in it that it's, it's like it's second nature. It, it's our mother tongue, as it were. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's, that makes 100% sense from what we, what we see Jesus teaching in the scriptures. Um, what's fascinating, though, is for um, me and many people like me, I know a lot of listeners uh, can relate to this story, we kind of grew up with this thinking and teaching that the kingdom um, is something that we have to look forward to when we die. So really the gospel is to kind of get out of hell. That's the gospel that we were taught, like God can save you from your sins so you don't have to go to hell. Um, and then that same kind of gospel message was taught to us so that we can go teach other people. It became our evangelism strategy. Go teach other people that they too don't have to go to hell, uh, and then that's what they have to look forward to when they die. And that was kind of exclusively what we thought of when we thought of the kingdom and the gospel. Uh, So I loved when I started to hear you teach and talking about this gospel fluency and how the gospel doesn't, it's not just a one-day thing, but it starts to influence our here and now. Talk to me about that. Like, How does the gospel start to influence uh, not just the the one day, but the here and now? Yeah, well, I think when you understand that the gospel is the good news of the kingdom and Jesus is the king, and when he came and he showed up and said, hey, I've come to preach good news— it's interesting that he, his good news wasn't, here's how you avoid hell. His good news is that the captives will be set free, the broken will be and it will be you know raised up and cared for, the, the sick will be healed, the demons will be cast out. And then people start asking about this kingdom, and he says, it's not, it's not like you're going to look elsewhere and see it. It starts within you. It's a, and so Jesus defines the kingdom as the rule and reign of his, his rule and reign over your life that begins the moment that you surrender to the king. And the good news is that he actually can deliver you, and not just deliver you from a future doom, but a present doom, a a present slavery to sin, a present condemnation because of your sin, a, a present powerlessness to be able to overcome sin. So he comes to save you now and then. There's a, a past, present, future reality that I have been saved, from the penalty of my sin, I'm being saved from the power of my of sin, and I will be saved from the presence of sin. And really, hell isn't just a future reality; it's it's a present reality as well. I mean, the Bible tells us we're being delivered; we're delivered from the domain of darkness, the the rule of Satan, into His glorious light, into the kingdom of the glorious One, Jesus. So, uh, salvation is not just a future event; it's a it's a past, present, future reality of God saving us in totality. So, I think the problem is is that people were primarily using. You know, whether it's Dante's Inferno or the sinners in the hands of an angry God, and they emphasize only the future reality of separation from God forever, which is real and true, and we need to talk about it. 
But it's, it's so much bigger than that. The gospel is so much more powerful than just rescuing us someday in the future. It's, it's got power to save us today. And so I think that's the reason why people don't know how to speak the gospel to the everyday stuff of life, because they think it's not meant for all of life. It was just meant for after I die. But when you realize Jesus came to bring good news that's for all of life, then, then we have something to say to absolutely everything, and it really is good news that can bring salvation to us. So that, and you know, there's people like George Ladd or others who wrote on this already not yet view of the kingdom that it was inaugurated in Jesus's first coming; it's consummated in his second. Which means we can experience the rule and reign of Christ now. That's good news, and we'll experience Him bring it to its completion, so that all things will be under Christ clearly seen as the king, and all of life will be radically changed. And we aren't just getting out of here and going to heaven. We're actually, heaven is going to come to earth. I mean, the, the final story doesn't end with us getting out of out of this place. It ends with this place being redeemed, that we'll have a new heaven and a new earth that actually intersect, that they're not separate. They're, there's a togetherness of heaven and earth, and that's the new world that we get to long for. And we get to taste and see it now. That's the amazing thing. Yeah, so uh, that that's a, that's such a beautiful and fascinating picture. Picture, and I know that the the scriptures don't give us a ton of details on that. Uh, but talk to it, like what in your mind? What do you envision that coming together of heaven and earth looking like? Well, I think I have to go back to the Garden of Eden, where God was walking with, uh, and the language of walking with is really a way of saying dwelling with uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden. That, in a sense, was the first temple. It's this place where God's dwelling was made manifest with his people in this beautiful, lush, gorgeous place that had the potential for the most abundant life ever possible. And the, the story that, that the story ends with us being in a garden-like city where not only do we have the, the dwelling place of God with man once again, and it's, it's like a garden. There's a river running through it. There's the tree of life. There's all these things that bring human flourishing. But there's also the results of all this beautiful creativity that God put in humanity to create things that display God's glory in all its multifaceted forms. And all of those things will be without sin. It won't be the Tower of Babel where we build it for our own namesake, our own glory, but rather all those things will be built for God's glory. And therefore, everything will perfectly display what God's like. So we'll be just surrounded by the glory of God absolutely everywhere we go, and we'll love it. We won't be jealous of it. We won't want another world. We won't want anything but that. So we'll be deeply satisfied, deeply content, and experiencing the most flourishing life you could ever imagine. Mm, that's good news. Yeah, that's, and that's right. Like, So it's not like, hey, avoid hell. It's like, what if I painted a picture of what you could be a part of versus what you're avoiding? And I think right. so much of Christianity has been how do I avoid something instead of how do I embrace something? And I think it's why we've often been defined by what we're against instead of what we're for. And when the good news is about what we're for and what we're going to get to experience and the kind of life we can have, now we're bringing good news versus just a ticket out of something. We're talking about an entry into something. Yeah, yeah. I love the way you said, and I, I know that's been said before, but you know, we're, we've been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. That's such a, a, a great word picture to think about. Let's talk about the being saved part, the, the current reality of being saved. Uh, and you, 
Do we need to take a break? No, it's okay. Good. <laughs> dude, dude, that happens to me all the time. The Part of the reason the dad tired audience uh, loves the podcast is because the kids are constantly like walking in. My wife's always walking in here. <laughs> so uh, I'm not even going to edit that out. <laughs> We're just right. going to keep the interruption. That's my in wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why we call it dad tired. Man. There's just uh, always stuff going on. It's real life. Love it. Uh, no worries. So what I, what I was talking about is this, this being saved part, the kind of the middle piece of that salvation. Uh, I just wrote a devotional for the dad tired guys, uh, and it's called Stop Behaving. And the premise of that devotional is the sense that it's not just our behavior that needs to be changed. Jesus wasn't trying to just manage our behavior, but he was digging deep after our hearts. He, he actually wanted to change our belief system, uh, and then that would be the premise of behavior change. And I know you talk about that in gospel fluency. In fact, I'll even give you credit. I'm sure that you've influenced my thinking in many ways as, I, as I've processed that. But in your own words, like, get, give us some idea on guys that are just like, trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They're trying to be more disciplined. They're trying to like just be a better man. What's the difference between that and a, and a heart change uh, that, that starts to affect our behavior? Well, I think it's important to acknowledge uh, what, what the what in this in terms of what Jesus said. He said, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your hearts for it's the wellspring of life. Uh, Jesus says it's not what goes into a man that corrupts him, but what comes out of a man. And so if you want to produce new fruit, you got to get the tree uh, right. And so so the, the idea then is so often people think that uh, my behaviors are merely the result of effort. And if I could just change myself, if I could just have some kind of form of behavior modification, then all of life would change. But the reality is, is your, your behavior stem from your heart and what you love most, what you believe, what you cherish, what most has controlling power over your life. And so if you want to change, you've got to get to the root of your change, which is your beliefs produce behaviors. That's James, you know, works, faith without works is dead. In other words, what James is saying is your faith does produce works. It's just what kind of faith you have and what is your faith in. So I think what we have to ask ourselves is what does the behavior I'm experiencing uh, point to in terms of the beliefs that are at the root of it? And I use the language of fruit to root. Pay attention to the fruit of your life. It's always connected to the roots of your faith. And if we don't take the time to un- to understand why we do what we do and uh, and even what's informed what we do, our beliefs – so our beliefs and our motives, if we don't pay attention to those, then behavior modification is only going to be like a, like an ointment put over a deep, deep cancer inside of us. It's, it's not going to change us. It's just it might deal with the rash of it. You know, it might it might cover yeah. it up for a while, but it's not going to produce lasting change in the end. Yeah. So how does a guy like practically, how does a guy who's just struggling through stuff, like just can't seem to like manage his behavior? He, he, he's either continues to be addicted to porn or he, he, he continues to have impatience with his kids or with his wife, or, uh, he's working, uh, more than he knows he needs to, or should be, uh, as a way to find validation in his own life. Like where does a guy even start to begin to like address heart stuff versus behavior? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, what I think you have to do in each one of those situations, and we could take even one of them if we wanted, but the the idea that I would do – first of all, you need to have some other guys in your life. Uh, I think so often guys don't have a clue what's going on because they have nobody else who can point out things that they see, the blind spots. the They have nobody that can process it out loud. The proverb right. speaks of a, a good friend who can draw out the deep waters of the heart. And I think we need friends who will draw out the deep waters of the heart, meaning – not just, hey, 
man, stop looking at porn. Uh, how could you right. do that? And we use shame and guilt and all kinds of performance techniques. And you know what? I'm going to hold you accountable next week. I'm going to ask you the questions and I hope you don't look at stuff because, well, why? Why do I even want to stop? Like, is it primarily because I want to impress you? Because at the next week I want to come back and have feel good in front of you. Like I put up a really good performance and now you're out validating me, which unfortunately is – is going to stand in the face of the gospel because what I'm doing when I do this, I'm saying what most motivates me is what people think of me. And so now my motivation is the approval of man, which is the antithesis of the gospel because in the gospel we're saying, you know, you can never do enough to, to receive the approval your heart deeply longs for. And yet Jesus did all of it for you, live this perfect life on your behalf as the human who did everything God wants. And then the father said, this is my beloved son, with him I'm well pleased. And when our life is hidden in Christ, when our faith is in not only the death of Christ, but the life of Christ, the performance of Christ on our behalf, and then his death is the thing that we trust in to forgive us for all the ways we've fallen short of living the life that we've, we want to live. And his resurrection is the means by which we actually can live a new life. So when my hope is in Christ, life is my performance performance, his death is my forgiveness and justification, and his resurrection is the thing that might empower me to live a new life, then I'm not coming to an accountability session going, how do I make you impress with me? I come to an accountability session saying, I'm already loved and accepted and approved of by God the Father, regardless of what I've done because of Jesus. And because of that, I don't, my motive isn't approval from you. My motive is love from him. My love, my love from God that I've already received, even though I've fallen, is the thing that makes me want to do what I want to do because love is the most controlling thing you've got. Great, your greatest affection leads to your, your change of behavior. And so if you really know the love of God and the acceptance of God and the forgiveness of God through Christ, then there's a powerful motivation to, to live in a way that glorifies him, but not to hide when you fail. Now I can confess freely, and there's freedom in confessing our sins, not so that someone else can say, okay, I accept you, but rather, remember, you're accepted by God the Father. Regardless of what yeah. you've done, you are a child, approved, accepted. Live as a dearly loved child of God, an imitator of your Father. Even when you fail, come back to him again and receive the grace you need. So in that's first of all got to be there because if you don't have that, then the next conversations you have are not going to be helpful, which is what is it that you're trying to say? Let's take pornography. What is it you're seeking after? What is it that you think you're going to get by looking at pornography? For some men, it's a sense of control because they feel out of control in so many other areas of their life. And this feels like a right. momentary uh, uh, opportunity to have control over someone on the other side of the screen. Or it's an ability to satisfy a deep longing that seems to not get satisfied somewhere else. In some cases, it's a person's sense of um, like I'm entitled. I got a sense of entitlement. Uh, there's a lot of different motives for why guys look at pornography. And I think most people don't st stop and mind the depths of the heart and say, what is it? you're going after. Years ago, I struggled with this. And what I realized, someone really helped me understand is that for me, it was a sense of adventure. It wasn't even, interestingly enough, it wasn't even sexuality. It was the exploration. It was the going into places that, you know, you've never been before. You're not supposed to go. And someone helped me see that that's, God had wired me to be in a very adventurous spirit that wanted to pursue things that were in some ways, you know, on the edge of a frontier. And they helped me see that God built me that way for his glory 
to lead the church out on mission, mm-hmm. to, to begin mm-hmm. to step out in faith-based ways for God's glory. And when I could see that that was a misdirected passion into a right. place that would never satisfy me, and I could begin to capture that God-given passion and direct it towards God's God-given purposes, then I didn't need this this substitute, this empty, you know, lie that was telling me I was going to get it there. And I think for a lot of guys, they've got to ask themselves, what are they seeking after? If it's control, then, hey, you know, the beauty is God is in control. He wants you to come under his authority. How do we know God's in control? He rose from the dead on the third day. Like he, he conquered the greatest thing you could ever imagine. Do you want your life to have that kind of self-control given to you by the Holy Spirit? Well, go to the cross, first of all, for your forgiveness, for because you desire to be God, unfortunately. You're trying to be sovereign over something else you can't be. God never intended to be. And then look at Jesus as the only true sovereign one who's given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then not only receive his forgiveness, but submit yourself to his lordship and, and ask the Holy Spirit to grant you the power that raised Jesus from the dead to give you the ability to have self-control so that Jesus can be lord over your video screen and you can experience a power that you've never known before. So I'll oftentimes counsel guys before you get on the screen, just invite Jesus to be Lord over the screen. Ask him to be sovereign, uh, submit to his, his governing authority as you're about to get on the screen. And when you fail, go to the cross, receive forgiveness, and re-invite him again in submission to take authority again. Not with shame, not with hiddenness. You don't have to hide. He knows. But receive his grace and then accept his, his powerful authority that wants to set you free. So that's what it might be control. It could be a lot of other things. You know, it, it depends on what the motive driving them there is and what the belief about that thing is, in particular pornography. What do I think it's going to give me that Christ has already fully given me and I'm just not going to the right source? Right. And so I've heard you actually say this uh, in multiple, both your books and in your talks, uh, and you kind of alluded to it there, but I'll put your own words in, back in your mouth. And you, you talk about kind of searching for what their God is. Yeah. Um, what, what is it that they're worshiping? And just point them to a better God. <laughs> point them to the one that can actually satisfy. Do you want to give any thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, Jesus, in my book, I talk about how Jesus is the better, uh, and he's the better everything. And so uh, some some parents... Uh, the reason why let's take parenting. There were some reasons, some of the reasons why some parents are very impatient with their kids is because they have actually hoped their kids would be for them, their, their significance, their justification, their sense of approval. So if my kids don't do well or don't behave well or don't perform well, then it directly implicates me like, cause my identity has fallen into them. And, and so what I need and what, as a dad, what I need is I need to remember there is a better son. His name is Jesus. And he did do what my kids can't do perfectly. He did obey the father completely, perfectly in every possible way. And so when I see my kids and they don't live up to the hopes I had for them, I need the spirit to redirect me to the son, Jesus Christ, uh, for my kids to be able to even mm-hmm. say to them, you know what? I know that you've fallen short and I know that you've failed, but I want to remind you, Jesus hasn't. He is the perfect son for you. He's the better child. And, and I have to do the same thing for me. I tell my kids regularly, I'm not your true dad. Like there, there's a true father in heaven right. and I am not him. Jesus came to show you what the father's like. If you've seen me, you've seen the father, he says. And so as a dad, I need the better father who's made accessible through Jesus, the son. So I tell my kids, when I fail, it's okay for you to tell me that. When I fall short of the glory of God by not being the kind of dad I know that I'm called to be, please know there's freedom 
to let me know that, to pray for me, to, to hopefully extend grace. I'll ask for forgiveness. But I, I need then the better father. They need the better son. Uh, mm. Sometimes we need the better spouse. <laughs> Jesus clearly is the better spouse. Mm-hmm. And so when, when, I'm, I'm for, when I'm failing to love my wife or pursue my wife, I need to come back to the pursuit of Jesus of my own heart and say, there's only one who can truly pursue his bride perfectly, and that's Jesus. And when I fail to pursue my bride well, I've got to find the grace of Jesus pursuing his bride to not only forgive me, but then to empower me to, to pursue my bride with his help and say, Jesus, would you in me produce a kind of love that led you to pursue us, would you now give me that same love in pursuit of my wife? And so not only am I remembering what he's done, I'm asking you to continue to do it in my life Mm -hmm. today. That same pursuit of his bride is not ending. He didn't stop. He's still doing it. And then I want to join in with that pursuit and say, would you now pursue my bride through me? Will you help me pursue her like you pursue us? So it's Mm -hmm. constantly saying he is the better. Not only has he done it, but he's doing it. He wants to do it in you. He wants to be it for you. He doesn't want you to accept any other substitute for anything that you're looking for in life. He is it. He is it for everything. What a freeing picture. What a freeing picture to know that the Spirit can work in me to pursue my wife in ways that I can't in my own. Yeah. Yeah. What what a beautiful, free... And that's yeah. the life that see that's the good news. The good news isn't just something in the future. Jesus says in John 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now what is he saying? He's not saying I'm going to answer your prayer with kind of a disconnected answer. He's saying I will do it. In other words, you get Jesus doing it in you and through you. That's why the next chapter, John 15, he says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This is The Christian life is communion with Christ, getting the very resource and person and power of Christ to do the things that only Christ can perfectly do. So in the gospel, it's not that we get heaven, it's that we get Jesus. Mm-hmm. We get his life, we get his power, we get his presence, we get his communion, we get all that Jesus has and is and can do in the gospel. And so the, the best news there is, is you get Jesus and everything he can do in your life. Which is amazing. It's huge, man. Yeah, it's huge. Jeez. Uh, so one thing I've been trying to, I remember the very first time I heard you speak uh, in person, uh, you, I wanted you to write an entire, I wanted you to do a whole sermon and then write a whole book on just parenting. Like I was just, I was a brand new dad at the time. I'm still a rookie dad in many ways. I have three kids now. Um, but I, in many ways, I was just like, dude, please just keep going on the parenting stuff. I need all I can get and write a book on it. I still want you to write a book on it, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. But I was, I was, uh, immediately started to practice, all right, I'm just going to start going. Like I'm going to practice speaking the gospel into every situation that I can, I can with my kids. And, uh, it turns out there's like endless opportunity to both <laughs> speak the gospel into my heart and my wife's heart, my kid's heart. Mm. Um, and there's been tons of fumbling through that. Uh, so this is kind of a personal question, but I know the guys, uh, who have listened to the podcast will also relate to this. How, wh- what's the line between like, I, I'm constantly trying to point my kids back to the perfect father, that there's one who's better than daddy. There's a daddy who's better than daddy. My kids hear me say that a lot. What's the balance between that, like that kind of grace, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of um, pointing, redirecting their worship and discipline? Like what, like at what point do I actually need to like discipline and, and be hard on them and, mm-hmm. and, uh, 
discipline the hard behaviors that they're doing. Yeah. So I think keeping our hearts are, I think getting a right understanding of what discipline is and what the goal of discipline is. So Proverbs says, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. So discipline is to train them in a way. And Jesus says, I am the way the truth and the life. So we want to train them toward the way, which is Jesus. So they would walk in that. They would walk to Jesus. They would walk with Jesus. And so that's got to be the goal of our discipline. It's not behavior modification. It's heart transformation by getting them to Jesus and helping them to walk with Jesus. So the goal of our discipline must always be to lead them to him. And and so often I see parents use discipline as a way of controlling behavior or manipulating behavior, or even trying to create a fear-based in kids' behavior, or shame-based, or guilt-based. So we, we, what I'll say often is, we got to be careful that we don't use the consequences of sin, which is shame, guilt, and fear, to actually motivate our kids to behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what I mean by that is, it's not, it's not wrong to say there is consequence for sin. What you're experiencing right now, son, is shame. That's a result of sin. You're experiencing guilt. That's because you know you're wrong. And you're experiencing fear because you know that sin produces death and there's punishment for that. You, Those are all right experiences, but I can't use those to set them free. Hmm. You know, Adam and Eve tried to use those to set themselves free, right? They, what did they do with shame? They covered up. Well, that just leads right. to deception. What do they do with guilt? They blamed each other, right? What did they do with fear? They ran and hid, you know? So it's like, okay, all of that led them away from God and in animosity to one another. So that's not the result. That's not the the solution. That's just the result of sin. So now what I want to do is I want to figure out how do I lead my kids in light of the consequence to the Savior who can set them free, who can change them. So in some cases, the consequence is enough discipline. And I think we've got to realize that God put in place a natural discipline for our sin, which is shame, guilt, and fear. Those are the outcomes of what happens when we sin. If our kids don't get that, then I think we have to, we have to bring something. So when they're real little, they don't get shame, guilt, and fear. Uh, they, they just, they hit their brother and it felt good cause they got what they wanted, you know? Right, and so right. you, at that point you have to go, okay, now hold on. Let's talk about the consequence here. Now your brother doesn't trust you. Now your brother doesn't want to be around you. And we have to actually walk through what just happened and to help them understand there is a real discipline here and meaning you can't be trusted or, you know, when you take people's stuff, it means we can't trust you with things. So we may have to keep you from having certain things for a season to teach you to rightly respect and honor others with things. Or, you know, you're looking at, you're watching media way too much. It's becoming an addiction to you, you know? So there's a consequence to that. We're going to take it away because we have to, we have to do some of the work that God would do. Uh, like he he does with Israel. There is discipline he brings for their good. But we just got to make sure it's the right discipline, right? So when my kids were real young, we spanked them. And I talked to them about how sin produces pain, in particular, between us. It hurts us. Yeah. And it hurts our relationship with God. And so this spanking is a very small pain to help them understand there's a much greater pain in our relationship with God and each other when we sin, when we hurt each other. And so I use spanking, but I explained it and I had to walk through what this means and why I'm doing it. Now, my goal is not to get my anger out. So I encourage parents, right. man, if you are disciplining an anger, you need a time out. Like tell your kids, I'll be right back. <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to go and pray and I'm going right. to get my heart right so I can discipline you in love 
Because otherwise, it's it's getting out your your hatred on your children, even though it's a harsh word. It often is what people are feeling, and so hmm. it's got to be what will lead them to Jesus. What will help them understand the consequence, and will help them understand how Jesus actually helps them with the consequence. So my one of my son my son struggles with shame, and if I only use shame to motivate him to like, shame on you, son, how could you do that? What I watched him do is he hid more, and he became hmm. more effective at deception. He became a more sophisticated liar. Hmm. So my goal is not to use shame to get him to stop lying. It's to say, son, you don't have to hide. You don't have to, you don't have to hide and, and cover up. Well, I'm going to lead you to Jesus, the one who takes away the shame. And uh, so with them, we sell, one of the celebrations of my son's life is when he confesses. When he confesses yeah. a sin, I, I, we celebrate that. Because what is he doing? He's practicing his faith in the truth of the gospel being sufficient enough for him to come clean and to come out of hiding. Uh, and so, so it's really just asking the question, how am I leading them to Christ? How am I helping them understand the consequence of sin? Jesus as the savior who helps set them free. And if they don't know the consequence, I might have to provide some. So they learn that there are consequences. They just don't see them yet. And as you know, some of the consequences of our kids behavior is long-term you know, eventually they don't have any friends or they don't have any, no one trusts them or they're the kind of person who's learned how to, how to actually, you know, maneuver through life, avoiding everything or avoiding people, or they're so performance driven because all we've ever affirmed in them is you are acceptable when you do good and you are rejectable when you fail. And some parents that train their kids and it works righteousness, that it's their behavior that gets their acceptance instead of their connection to their father. You know, that I love my kids because they're my children, not because they behave. Right. And whether they behave well or not, I still love them. And, and so I think that's the thing our kids have got to learn is that your behavior may be unacceptable, but you are acceptable because you're my child and I love you. When I help you live a, uh, an acceptable behavior that matches your identity, which is you're my accepted son. So live as an accepted son with acceptable behavior. And getting that order right is really important that their identity precedes their behavior. Man. Well, I think I've got through about half of the questions and I've got about <laughs> 10 more after everything you've uh, just shared. But uh, because for the sake of time, we'll just leave it there as a teaser. I know that you gave so much good content there. Uh, and and I'll, I'll point our listeners to your books, um, Gospel Fluency and Saturate. Um, where they can get those everywhere, Amazon, bookstores, everywhere that books are sold, they can get those. Uh, I've read both of them, loved both of them, highly recommend them. Uh, for the guys listening, the Dad Tire guys, you can actually listen to it for free uh, by going to dadtire.com forward slash audible, and they can get a free copy of the uh, uh, the audio book of either of those. Um, but uh, don't just get free stuff. Go pay for some books and help Jeff out because he's doing some good stuff uh, around the world. Anyway, man, uh, thank you again for taking the time to hang out with us and remind us of the gospel. Um, what's the best way for guys to get connected to what, with what you're doing if they want to learn more? Yeah, so there's uh, saturatetheworld.com where we're trying to provide a lot of resources to serve people. And there's even a lot more about parenting there if they're looking for that. And then you can you can also follow me on Twitter, basically at Jeff Vanderstelp. And a lot of times we're posting new content or new ideas to serve you. And I would say one last thing on the parenting piece, if you're wanting more of that, we did a series mm -hmm. called Living Legacy at okay. Soma Church in Tacoma. I think it's still online if you wanted to pull it up. And that's a whole parent gospel-centered parenting teaching series we did. So if you're looking for more of this, that might serve you as well. 
I listened to that whole series and I loved it. Um, so what I'll do is I'll link all of those into the show notes so the guys can go to dadtired.com, click on this episode, and you'll be able to find links to all of Jeff's books, that parenting video series, uh, your Twitter, all that good stuff. So Jeff, thank you again. I really do appreciate it. I know you're dad tired. You got a lot of stuff going on, man. So thank you for taking the time out. I appreciate it. Thank you. 